open our ears and open our hearts to your presence here with us. Amen. Please sit down. Well, before I start the sermon today, I think I really must mention that I wrote this before the events of Friday. I wrote this on Friday morning. And so the tragic events, the murder of an MP, have not made it into my sermon. But as always, when we stand up to preach and when we come on a Sunday morning, whatever we do, whatever we say, and whatever we hear is taking place against that backdrop of the world that's going on around us. So do let that enter into your thoughts today. What we see in today's Gospel reading is those disciples being characteristically slow on the uptake, as usual. Because Jesus has just been telling them, again, for the third time in fact, about how he will suffer and die. And James and John's immediate response is, can we be promoted to the highest place in your kingdom? I like to think that rather than just being really, really insensitive to their friend and leader, that they are looking forward in hope to beyond the struggle, to the time of victory for the revolution. But the problem with that sort of mindset is that Jesus isn't setting out to win power and rule from the oppressing Romans, which is what many of the people thought. What he is doing throughout his life and ministry and his teaching, particularly in this passage, is setting out his manifesto for the shape of kingdom leadership and by contrasting it with the shape of what happens in the world. I've got a bit of a visual aid and I've just realised that I forgot to ask Evie before that she'd hold it for me. It's there. <laughs> Make sure you get it the right way up. Good. Excellent. I train her well. Evie, could you sidle this way a bit so that anyone on the screen can see? Here we are. I have imagined that the shape of worldly leadership is a triangle. The king is at the top, with lots of underlings beneath them, right down to servants and slaves at the bottom, doing all the work and propping up the top of the triangle. And that is actually a really good image of leadership, particularly in the ancient world. Think about Egypt, pyramids, power, literally built on the work of slaves. Look at the Roman Empire that was in charge in the time of Jesus. But let us not delude ourselves into thinking that the world is any different today. We like to talk about the quality of people. Doesn't take much to look around us, though, and see that the powerful are still at the top, and the ones that lack power are far too often just crushed and squashed underfoot. The world is still shaped like a triangle. We use it in our language. We talk about getting to the top, to climbing the ladder, stepping on people to get what we want survival of the fittest. We talk about a dog-eat-dog -dog world because it's all about getting to the apex, climbing the mountain, being the alpha. And the disciples in today's reading show very much that they are thinking about a triangular world. 
they say to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's a bit rude, isn't it? They're not asking, they're actually demanding. But it's actually an echo back to Mark chapter 6, where Herod promises to give his daughter whatever she asks for, even half of his kingdom. Herod effectively writes a blank check, and he is not worried that it will bounce when she cashes it at the bank, because he assumes that everything is, is within his power to give, because he is at the top of the pyramid, king, top dog, number one. He can grant anything, even the life of another human being, John the Baptist. But Jesus' response to his disciples shows us immediately that he is a different sort of leader. What is it you want me to do? He asks, because he is not going to make the same mistake not make a foolish promise. Because despite knowing who he is and where he's come from, he is aware of the limitations of what he can grant. And I am really certain that when he looked at his disciples, he was aware of their limitations as well, in terms of what they might ask for. He knows that James and John live in a triangular world because they're buying into this idea of rule and power. But it's not just James and John. As we read on, we see that the other ten are quite angry as well. They're angry because they're really rather put out that James and John have asked to be put over them in the pyramid. And if you thought that Peter was rather uncharacteristically quiet, Peter, who is always getting it wrong and getting himself into trouble, well, I think we need to think again. He's not named, but he is one of those ten. And knowing Peter, I am fairly certain that he wouldn't have been quiet and would have had a fair few things to say. As recently as verse 28 in chapter 10, Peter was only saying to Jesus, look, we'd left everything. Where's our reward? Because every single one of those disciples fails to grasp that they're very much seeing the world through the lens of the world that they are conditioned to. Imagining the kingdom of Jesus will be the same. Imagining it will be the same shape. It's almost, perhaps, as if they haven't got enough imagination to see it completely differently. Because it's so outside of what they expect. They struggle to find a framework for it. Thinking outside the box is really hard. Imagining something completely different is really, really difficult. Perhaps in this kingdom they imagine that the mighty will indeed be brought low, but they seem to be quite content to simply take their place. Somehow that is not the sort of kingdom that Jesus has in mind. And the same is true today for us, isn't it? All too often we can buy into that world's shape of ladder-climbing importance, elevation, ascent, being at the top of our game, climbing the ladder, head honcho. We use the language in the church. We do use it correctly, but sometimes we have to play with it a bit to understand it. 
We talk all the time about Christ as the head of the church, the head of the body. But don't let that confuse us. Because Christ as the head is a different shape indeed. Because the incarnation, the coming of Jesus in human form, is arguably the biggest demotion in history. The eternal word of God, present at creation, through whom all things were made, came down to be a mortal infant in a lowly stable. It's descent rather than ascent. As one writer puts it, it's climbing down the ladder into greatness rather than up it. It's a direct contrast with what the world says, a complete reversal, literally turning the world upside down. And so that triangle of leadership and power, let's turn that upside down. Thank you, Evie. And so the pinnacle is at the bottom rather than the top, a world where everything stands on the service of the one true leader. In church terms, when we think about Christ as the head of the body, perhaps we need to imagine Jesus doing a handstand. I'll let you just imagine that for a second. Jesus doing a handstand. I really, really like that image because it reminds me of the book, Jesus' Day Off. How many of you have read that, the children's book? Right, well, Jesus in this book is feeling rather tired and jaded and decides to take a day off. And among lots of fun things that he does, he goes into the desert and he turns cartwheels. And at the end of the day, he sits down and he says to God, well, it was a really nice day, but I didn't achieve very much, did I? And God shows him everything that he had done that day. And where he had turned those cartwheels in the desert, where he had turned upside down, springs of water had sprung from dry ground, giving life to all around them. Isn't that a beautiful, joyful image of an upside-down kingdom, upside-down success, achievement where it wasn't looked for. Because that is the sort of turning upside down that Jesus is talking about when he says he came to serve rather than be served. Because that service is life-giving to those around us. Back to the angry ten disciples. They began to be angry with James and John. And that word for angry actually echoes back to Jesus' own anger at verse 14 in chapter 10. The moment when the disciples turned the children away when people brought them the blessing. Jesus was angry about that. And so when we contrast Jesus' anger and the disciples' anger, we contrast Jesus and we contrast Herod. Both the disciples and Herod are felt to be rather wanting. And that prompts a question for all of us, both as a whole church, as a church in this place, and as individuals. Because we tend to think that we're already inhabiting this wonderful upside-down kingdom. And when we think we're doing what Jesus would do in any given circumstance, it's worth asking, are we angry about the things that Jesus would be angry about? Or like the disciples in today's gospel, we missed the points and got it wrong. Are we upset 
about the wrong things. I think that's quite a reality check, something to go away and ponder indeed. But if we look back at Jesus' response to James and John, in reply to their request, he asks them a question. Are you able to drink from the cup that I must drink and to be baptised with the baptism that I will be baptised with? Yes, they say, we're ready. I wonder how you would answer that same question if Jesus put it to you. I know that I would be far less sure of myself than James and John. But then we know what happened to Jesus just a few pages later. That's really sort of the point, I think. Because Jesus' particular cup goes beyond the cup of suffering. And his particular baptism goes beyond his crucifixion on the cross. Ultimately, only Jesus could do the things he did because human beings are found wanting. His disciples have demonstrated that today. Sheer enthusiasm is not enough. They get it wrong, just like we do. Only Jesus could do exactly what Jesus did. But that doesn't get us off the hook doesn't mean that we don't have to try and turn things upside down. We do. We must. Because ultimately, we do drink his cup. Every single Sunday when we come to the Eucharist, we are all baptised into Jesus' body through our own baptism. But it is an upside down body. And when we are baptised into it, we must participate in that upside-down nature. We must join in with Jesus and his radical turning the world upside down, turning power and control on its head. We must try and imagine bigger and better, not be confined by the way the world tells us what bigger and better is. It shows us how each one of us needs to be careful with whatever power we have placed in our hands, however little that might be, whether that's on our own lives, in the church, in our nation. We must always call out the misuse and abuse of power and challenge the culture. We need to ask ourselves, for those of us who have any power, and all of us do in our own lives, are we propped up by people beneath us? Or do we see ourselves as propping others up? It's the difference between the way on the triangle. If we allow the shape of the kingdom to be like a pyramid with the apex at the top, we haven't listened to what Jesus had to say at all. Amen.